continuing our series praying through, uh, studying the, the prayers of David, I want to begin with a story of a wrestler that I know, um, Brother Kay and uh, Brother Mike Puthers both will be very familiar with by the name of Dan Gable. On March the 28th, 1970, Dan Gable, the best wrestler in America, would wrestle the last match of his collegiate career at Iowa State. Up to this point, he was dominant. 64-0, check this out, 64-0 as a high schooler. Three state championships. 117-0 in college with two national championships. He was facing an opponent named Larry Owings from Washington University. Dan was confident he would beat him and win another national championship because he was quoted as saying this to ABC News, come watch me finish my career 182-0. With 9,000 people watching in the stadium and a lot more watching on TV, the match began. Dan was ahead after two rounds. The third round started and Gable was, was winning 10 to 9 with just 30 seconds remaining. All he had to do was be still and stall out and play it safe. But he got greedy because he had pinned 70% of his opponents up to this point in his career. So he went for an arm bar when Owings attempted a counter move that he had never succeeded at, some kind of leg sweep. This time it happened to work. And he brought Dan Gable down to the mat. He earned four points, two for the takedown and two for exposing Gable's shoulders to the mat. And he won 13 to 10. Gable is quoted as saying this afterwards. I was undefeated for seven years. Then I lost. And I got better. It was the most magnificent defeat. He went to win the Pan Am Games, the Olympics, and coach the University of Iowa to 15 national championships. The point is that the loss hurt Gable. But in the end, it actually helped him more than it hurt him. We're going to learn tonight that one of the greatest things God can do for us is cause us to lose. But if we respond right to our defeat, it doesn't have to hurt us. It can help us. We left David last week in the cave of Engedi. If you were here last week, raise your hand so I know how many heard the message. The majority of you were here. He spared Saul's life in that cave when he could have exacted revenge. But we're going to fast forward quite a bit now in our study in David's life. So far that now King Saul is dead. And King David is reigning as king over all Israel. And that's not all. You can study the first seven chapters of the book of 2 Samuel and find that, that by the time David wrote Psalm 60, he had conquered Jerusalem and made it his capital. He had brought the Ark of the Covenant to his city, which if you're, if you're following our, our preaching in the first Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant is very significant. God even appeared to him in, in 2 Samuel 7 and promised him a perpetual dynasty and that the Messiah would come from his lineage. So, so David is well established. He's successful so far as the king of Israel. Of course, all that can be read in, in 2 Samuel 1 through chapters 7. The psalm we're going to study tonight is written around the events that took place in 2 Samuel chapter 8. If your Bible is like mine, then there's a heading in small letters written before verse 1 of chapter 60. And the, the heading indicates this. When he strove with the Ram Naharium and with the Ram Zoba. So this gives us indication of maybe what's happening. Here's what the scholars tell me. That, that David, along with most of his military, 
was off fighting in the regions of Syria and Jordan. This would have been the far north. I got a, I got a map, and I'm going to be real honest with you. I, I could pretend like I'm real smart, because most of you probably have no idea what's going on here, and I could act like I do and, and convince you that I know more than you, but that's not the point, because I don't know. But through my study so far, I have found that, that in Genesis 15, when God came to Abraham and, and gave him the, the promise of land for, for the children of Israel, then that promise extended from the territory of the Egypt Ridge River, which is the bottom half, you see Egypt, the bottom half of that black square, all the way up to about the Euphrates River. So down by Egypt would have been south and up towards Syria and Jordan and the Euphrates River would have been north. And so David at this time in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and when he wrote Psalm 60, he was off fighting up there in the Syrian Jordan region. He was fighting because God had promised them all this land, but they hadn't possessed it all yet. Now, now, now when Joshua was, was leading the children of Israel, he possessed about a tenth of the promised land. But then his successors gave up most of the land that he possessed. Well, David now, leading the people of God, was convicted that he ought to get all the land that God had promised his people. He just knew that his men were going to have to fight for it. And so 2 Samuel 8 gives us indication that David and his men were, they were whooping people. I mean, left and right, they were whooping tell. Victory after victory after, you can go read it. I mean, they were experiencing victory over the Philistines, the Syrians, all the ites, you know what I'm talking about in Canaan? The, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Cellulites. <laughs> just making sure you're still awake. Just making sure you're still awake. All the ladies were giving me the stink eyes. Okay. He, he killed the king of Zobah, which actually was a very key area by the border of the Euphrates River. So David was rolling. He was experiencing much momentum. Yet we read how his prayer starts in Psalm 60. And it doesn't sound like one that had just won. Usually when you win, there's a rally. There's a celebration. But verse 1 indicates that in the midst of all this victory, there was actually a defeat. There was a, a momentum-killing loss. And let me explain to you what, what scholars agree was happening. There was this long-standing enemy of the Israelites in the south. So down towards the bottom of that square in the Egypt River area. And they were called the Edomites. The, these were descendants from Esau, Jacob's twin brother. They weren't good people. So while David's army was up there in the Syrian and Jordan area up north, fighting and winning victories and gaining land, the Edomites detected a moment of vulnerability and they launched an invasion of southern Judah. One writer put it like this, just as David thought he'd finally captured all the land and won all the victories needed, the steel-toed boot of Edom kicked him in the teeth. This was no doubt an unexpected defeat. It had to have come like a punch in, a gut, in the gut to David. He, he lived his life on the run for so long. He lost for so long. And now things have changed. He, he was experiencing all the promises of God. They were coming kind of fruition. He was winning and then suddenly he loses. Kind of like Dan Gable. Has that ever happened to you? Everything was going well. You were experiencing so much spiritual momentum and then all of a sudden it goes wrong. Yesterday you were winning, but today you're losing. Yesterday you were a conqueror, but today you're the conquered. 
It might be a spiritual defeat where, where, where a temptation that you had been living in victory from suddenly creeps back into your life and defeats you out of nowhere. It might be a relational defeat where, where you suddenly started experiencing strife in a relationship that had for so long been so good. It might be an emotional defeat where suddenly the discouragement, the anxiety, the depression, the bitterness, the jealousy, the anger, that emotion that you had been free from for months suddenly comes rushing back into your life and overwhelms you. That's what David is feeling. And if there's anything about this episode in David's life that, that, that teaches us a lesson, it's this. Please pay attention. Just because we're victorious doesn't mean we'll be undefeated. Overcomers will sometimes be overcome. Good kings still lose, and so too good Christians. And here's what we're going to find out in the text. Sometimes we need to lose. Sometimes what we need more than a victory is actually a defeat. So when that unexpected defeat comes... That momentum-killing loss comes into our life in whatever area. What do we do? Well, it's predictable by now. We pray through it. We don't pray around it. We pray about it. We don't ask others to pray for it. We pray through it. It, it. Listen, prayer has got to become our default response at moments in which we lose in life. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Three ways. Number one. Acknowledge the sovereignty of God in your defeat. Acknowledge the sovereignty of God in your defeat. Look at verse 1. O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. Look how verse 2 starts. Thou hast. Verse 3, thou hast. Verse 4, thou hast. It's a phrase that appears eight times in four verses. David recognized that this, this, this defeat was caused by God. That God in his sovereignty thought it was necessary for David to experience a loss. Now that aspect of God's sovereignty or, or, or character flies in the face of every TV preacher and, and every self-help author that tries to portray God as someone who only brings victory into our lives. And we never allow defeat or anything bad to come into our life. Now, now listen, I believe God wants us to live in victory. I believe he enables us to live in victory. But according to this psalm, he sometimes brings defeat into our lives as well. Why would he do that to David at this time? Why would he do it in your life? David was on a roll. He was courageously possessing land. Why would God halt that kind of progress? Well, notice a phrase in verse 1. After he said, thou hast scattered us, what did he say? Thou hast been displeased. This is usually why God allows us to experience defeat. Because something, even in the midst of our victory, is not pleasing him. Something about our life displeases him. So what was it then about David that displeased God? What did God need to shake up? What did God need to rearrange? Even while David was winning victory in the north. I, I, I can only speculate, but I think my speculations have really good ground. Look at the last two verses of the psalm. Here's what I think the problem was. David said in verse 11, study with me. 
Give us help from trouble. Watch this next phrase. For vain or worthless is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Watch here. Based on David's confession that the help of man is in vain. And based on his commitment to go forward with the help of God. It seems as though David had been operating in his own flesh. It seems that, that, that victory, so much victory in the north, had somehow wooed David into a sense of overconfidence in himself. And victory has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Come on, agree with me. Yeah, it has a way of setting us up for defeat. It has a way of making us vulnerable to self-dependence and overconfidence. When I was driving a bus for uh, the, the school district, and I was driving for the soccer team for those three years. I can remember the, the first year I, I, drove, I drove for them um, in, in 2011, um, we won state. The second year was 2012, and we went to state. Won the WAC both of those years, the WAC conference. In 2013, we started our conference play against Great Bend. I took them to Great Bend, and we killed Great Bend, killed them. Went through the season, and we were a high-ranked team in the playoffs in 2013, and we played a low-ranked team. Guess who the low-ranked team was? Great Ben. The story's predictable, isn't it? You've seen it happen time and time again with your favorite sports team. They walk onto the field having murdered this team before. And, and, and what happened is that victory actually set them up for defeat. They got too comfortable. They got too secure in their past success. And it wooed them into this, this moment of vulnerability. And, and we started the game. And it's crazy what happened. The wind was blowing in Great Bend's favor. And when I say the wind's blowing in a soccer match in liberal Kansas, like I don't mean 10 or 15 mile an hour. Like to change the game, it's blowing like 30 mile an hour. And so when, when, you, when you kick the long ball, it goes forever. And then it bounces on that turf and goes even farther. And, and, and what Great Ben did is they were trying to get kind of just a long ball, a lucky shot. And so they put, a, they, they put a player up there, their striker up there on the other side of the field. And, and their goalie or somebody else would just kick those long balls and try to just beat the defense over and over again. And they kept failing, kept failing. And then finally in the first half, they scored a goal on us. And we couldn't score a goal on them because what they did is they put back all their players in defense but one. And so when we would go and try to go what they call it the 18 or the, or the box where you shoot, um, there, it would be so packed with people, we couldn't get any shots on goal. And so what they would do is they would stop it and they would just kick it as long as they can, hope that one player over there could burn their players. And it never worked until it worked one time. And then they pushed everybody back in defense and we could not score. And there's no game plan that can beat that kind of defense. It's just very, very difficult. You've got to have some very skilled players and patient players and all that kind of thing. And we just didn't. And we lost the first round of the playoffs. You, you can look at how, how victory sets us up for defeat in Joshua chapter 8 when, when, when they just beat uh, Jericho and all the walls came tumbling down and they had this little enemy called Ai and they went out, didn't even inquire of the Lord. They had sin in the camp, didn't get that right. They thought they would go and manhandle this enemy and they lost the battle to this little wimpy army and they lost 36 men. 
Brother Tanner preached several weeks ago on 1 Samuel chapter 4 where they, they didn't even inquire the Lord. They just went and tried to, tried to fight in the arm of their flesh against the Philistines and 30,000 men died. What did Samson do when Delilah uh, uh, convinced him to, to reveal to, to, to her the secret of his strength? And he got up and I think the narrator chose to word it something like this. He wished not or even think about the fact that God had departed from him. He got up as he had many times before and said, I'm going to go handle the Philistines. And in the arm of the flesh, he lost everything. Here's the point. God had likely brought defeat into David's life because David relied too much on himself. Self-reliance, man, it shows up in a lot of different ways in our life, doesn't it? Here's what I found to be true in my life. And sometimes when I'm searching for application for messages like this, I just, I just look in the mirror. And I say, why do I need Psalm 60? And how does self-reliance plague me? How does it demonstrate itself? And here's what it does for me. When life is going good for me, when it's going as, as planned, when it's free of unexpected defeats and interruptions and disappointments, you know what I do? I get really secure in my success. And I, I tend to take it for granted and lose sight of who gave me that season of success or that ease of life in the first place. And without fail, God has to do something to shake me, to remind me that if it were not for him, I would have nothing. And so sometimes, man, I'm, I'm trying to get better in the discipline of when life is going good, like I'm spending extra time in prayer. I, I'm going to the Bible more because I know I'm prone to be wooed into a sense of vulnerability where I relax too much. And I take too much for granted and I begin to rely on the old arm of the flesh because everything's going so smooth. Maybe there are moments in your life where, where you're riding high financially. Yes, you've worked for it and you've earned it and business is good and promotion is coming and the bonuses are coming and, and you've never lived at this kind of margin in your life before. But, but listen, if, if you begin to rely on your arm of the flesh and you, you begin to take for granted the God that gave you that wealth, he has a way of shaking that area of your life. Mounting medical bills, broken down vehicles, compounding problems with your house, just to remind you that what he gave you, he can take away. Moments in which your health is awesome, you're working out three times or five times a week, you're losing weight, you're feeling good, your energy's at an all-time high, and then you get sick. You get injured at work. Your back goes out. You hurt your knee playing a sport. And it's so God is saying, don't lose sight of who gave you the season of good health. Don't take it for granted. See, here's what we have to realize. Moments like that, they come sovereignly. Because God, he, he knows that, 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 that we cannot live in a sense of self-reliance. He's not, he's not okay with that. Verse 2 explains how David really was using the figure of an earthquake. The earth to tremble, that's broken it. Heal the breaches there for it shake. If that gives us indication that, that, that what happened is, is, is while David is fighting up north, God allowed his enemies to invade them in the south and kind of drive a wedge in Israel, split the whole nation. So, so he's, kinda, he's, he's trying to give us the picture of, of, of maybe how his self-reliance haunted him, that, that he was up focusing so much on these territories that he, he got too comfortable with that territory and he let his guard down in that territory. And I could go on and apply that. And it's true that, 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 that there, there's really a never a safe area in our life. 
And we can't get so focused on one territory that, that, we, that we let our guard down in another territory because Satan will find any angle into your life possible. So don't get so comfortable and, with your success and ease of life and, and victories in life that you let down your guard. Be sober. Be vigilant. Yeah. Verse 3. David says, Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Here David is telling us how it feels when you, when you have to experience a, a sovereign defeat, a defeat sent by God. He used the metaphor of being drunk. You know why I use that metaphor? To illustrate how confused that he felt, how dismayed that he felt, how shocked that this defeat made him feel. In fact, the word for astonishment means staggering. So when David heard of this defeat in the south, it made him stagger in shock. Now, I want you to think about this because we stagger in life when the fixed points that we've been depending on for balance are suddenly moving. When what we've embraced uh, as reliable markers for success begin to tumble, we panic. Like a drunk man, we stagger. That's what God does. He sees that we're leaning too hard on successes and our strength and things other than him for our balance in life. And when that happens, he will gently and lovingly push those things over and cause us to stagger a little bit so that we will place our leaning and our understanding and our trust back on him. David knew that the only explanation of this defeat was that it came from God. What does that mean for us? Here's what it means. It would do us well. For every time we experience a defeat in our life, to go into our prayer closet and the first thing we do is we have a time of self-examination. And we ask God this, is this from you? You understand that not every defeat comes from God. Some we bring upon ourselves. Some is a natural flow and ebb of life and things happen and God uses things to strengthen us. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about the times in which God divinely says, you will not win here. I'm shaking this up in your life. And, and, and that is the first thing that we need to do in prayer. God, are you doing this for me? Is this from you? Is this a divine defeat? That is the first thing we must do in our prayer closet so that the defeat doesn't destroy us. We have to understand its origin. And if it's from God, you need to acknowledge that. When David realized that God was the author, why it happened I want you to notice his response in verse 4 and 5. It gives us the second thing. Look at verse 4 and 5. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. I know that you're tired, but stay with me. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may display because of the truth, that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and hear me. This is the second thing. Retreat to a place of truth after defeat. Acknowledge the author of defeat, but, but re re retreat to a place of truth after defeat. You, did you notice da David used the word banner? I love how figurative he is in, in his songwriting, in his prayers. In the ancient Near East, a banner had two possible purposes. Study with me. First, it would at times be raised in preparation for battle. So, so it became a rallying, rallying point for, for soldiers organizing themselves for war. When a general would raise the banner, his soldiers would come to that place and that's where they would start to engage the enemy. A second purpose for a banner was to provide a safe place to which a soldier may retreat from battle. 
So, so, so one purpose was we're going to send you off, and this is the rallying point. The other purpose is this is the point you come to retreat for frightened soldiers, confused soldiers, wounded soldiers. It was like the mass unit, M-A-S-H, the mass unit for, for, for soldiers. Which one is David referring to? Based on the fact that he's experiencing defeat, I think he's referring to the, to the banner as a place of retreat after being defeated in war. Why is that important? Listen, because every Christian soldier in the war of life needs to know not only how to advance, but when and where to retreat. Especially after an attack, after being wounded, after being defeated. And notice verse 4 that David says that, that our banner, the place we run to after defeat is truth. He said God has raised this banner of truth for those that fear him even after they're defeated. Now, I want you to get this, because this is a great picture of God. He's our commander in general. And in this psalm, he's caused us to face defeat. But the same commander in general who causes us defeat is the one that sets up a military hospital, a safe place, a banner for us to run after defeat, being defeated. So God isn't like, I'm just going to let you lose and then learn from it out there. Like, that's what some parents do, right? Well, tough love, right? Just don't come home for five days. Well, in, in this situation, God's like, I'm going to send you to feet because you need it. But lift your head up. You might feel wounded and you might feel tired and you might feel stricken. But lift your head up because you will find that I have placed a banner. And that banner is truth. And it's a safe place for you to run and hide upon being defeated. That's why the, one of the names, Old Testament names for, for God is Jehovah Nisi. God, our banner. He wants us to run back to him, church. He wants us to run back to a place of truth after our defeated. But catch this. God is not the only one raising a banner when you're defeated. On the other side of the valley is the devil. And he has planted a banner too. And it's not a banner of truth, it's a banner of deceit. It's a banner of lies. It's a banner that whispers in your ear, if God loved you, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make you go through that. That's a lie. It's a banner of lies that said, don't go back to church. Every time you go back to church, you don't feel any better anyway. That's a lie. He, he, he says, hey, 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 go and, and, and swallow that pill and, and smoke that joint and, and drink that, that, that alcohol and, and do whatever you need to do to cope because there's no way you're going to get through this defeat on your own. That's a lie. And the point of the fact is, is that after defeat, you have to choose the right banner. You have, they'll look the same sometimes from the distance. You remember what he told Adam and Eve? He gives you just enough truth to think it's the truth. And so he paints his flag a lot the same way Jesus paints his flag. And you better be careful to make the right choice and the right banner. What is that place of truth? Please, please, please catch this. It's the word of God. This is the banner, man. It's flying high. It's the canon of scripture. This is where you run after you experience a divine defeat. You run to this book. You claim this book. Well, how do you know? That's what David did. Look at verse 5. This is incredible. I'm having a great time preaching this. Verse 6, rather. 
God has spoken. That's his word. In his holiness, I will rejoice. And then watch this. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. What did he just do? He mentioned six locations within Israel. And there's a lot of significance to those. i got to hurry through them. I can't give you the significance to those specific places, though I have them written down. But it was basically these places were attached to God's promises for the people of God. But then in verse 8, he mentions a few places the nations around Israel. Look what he calls Moab. It's my wash pot. You know what that was, right? It's the pot that was reserved for the dirty water after washing people's feet. And then they didn't, I mean, it wasn't good. They didn't wear shoes. It was nasty. Over Edom, he says, I will cast out my shoe. So he says, Moab is my wash pot, but Edom is the place I'm going to throw my dirty shoe after washing the dirty feet in Moab. Philistia. The perpetual enemy of Israel. They're going to hear the shout of triumph. It's going to be raised over. Them. Now what is this all about? Watch. It's about a man that has been shaken. Defeated. He's staggering in his defeat. He's astonished. Yet he's retreating back to the only sure and stable thing in his life. And that is the word of God. The promises of God. And he is turning back these promises to the Lord in prayer. He's reaching back to what has been true of God for his people in the past. And he's claiming it for his future. Man, what a great example. Here's what we do. We often separate our Bible reading and our prayer as two separate ingredients in our devotional time, don't we? Okay, I'm going to read this chapter, this chapter, and this chapter. Then I go like this with my Bible. Then I get on my knees and get my prayer list out. That's perfectly fine to do. But I think every once in a while we need to blend the two things. I think every once in a while we need to take our Bible with us right into the prayer closet and keep it open the entire time. For instance, in my prayer time, every day I pray through a psalm. Every day. I have an app called Prayer Mate. It's a free app. I'd encourage you to get it. I've subscribed to a free program within the app called Praying Through the Psalms um, by, by Donald Whitney. He writes a book called Praying Through the Psalms. You can get that if that's your preference. I prayed through Psalms 37 this morning. That's one of my favorite promises in the Word of God. Delight thyself in the ways of the Lord. He will give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways to the Lord. He will bring it to pass. Fret not because of thy evildoers. It's just an amazing psalm to claim and, and to turn back and pray to God. I, I think another good practice is to open your Bible in prayer time. And just would you do this starting tomorrow or tonight before you go to bed? Would you open, open your Bible and say, I'm going to find one promise in the Bible that I'm going to pray word for word back to God. Would you take that challenge this week? Don't read your Bible, your devotional book, close it and then go pray. Take your Bible with you to your prayer closet. And turn these promises back to the Lord in prayer. That's exactly what David did. He retreated to this place of truth and he claimed it. Can I give you a couple examples? If you've been defeated by temptation, open up to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And, and literally read this promise out loud back to God. There hath no temptation taken me, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer me to be tempted above, that I am able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that I may be able to bear it. Did you just hear what I read? That is a promise that God will never allow you to face a temptation, that, that he also won't provide an avenue through which you can escape. If God is wounded, maybe your finances, 
to a place that you're in need. Or if he's wounded a relationship in your life to a place where you're in desperate need. Then why do you open Matthew 6, that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Why don't you claim Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. I need to preface both of those prayers because you really can't claim them if you're not putting God first. I thought I'd get a better amen on that one. All right, you can't put, you can't put God on the hook for your disobedience. All right, but, 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 but if you start practicing the principles of those verses and then you can claim those promises with a clear conscience and with faith that God will meet those. Man, if you felt discouraged over defeat before, and man, you feel like giving up, you feel like maybe God stopped loving you, maybe you feel like you'll never win victory in that area, just go read Romans 8 at large. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And say it out loud to God over and over and over and over until your faith builds large enough to believe it. You can pray, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. What does that mean? I'll just give it to you in layman's terms. God will never give up on you. So don't give up on yourself. The word is your banner to retreat to. And here's what's great, man, I got to move on. But you retreat to this banner of, of the word. And then we're going to see that David took a turn in his prayer. Now he's going to go back out to battle. So this, watch this, this is so cool. The, 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 the place that is your place to retreat is also your rallying point at the same time. So you retreat to it to build your faith and to, 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 to build your dependence upon God and not yourself. And then when you've gotten to that point, boy, you close your Bible and you rally from that. And you say, now I'm going to go fight another day. Now I'm going to go serve God another day. Now I'm going to go minister another Sunday. I'm going to go sing in a choir another Sunday. I'm going to go teach a Sunday school lesson. Oh, I'm going to go try one more. And so the same place you retreat to is the same place that builds your faith and you rally from. Does that make sense? And so look what David said in, in, in verse 9. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? I'll save you all the details, but he's talking about the city of Petra. You can go look it up on your own. It was the most fortified city in that area. It was considered impassable. Two mile long walls that went up on each side. They say that, that, that two horsemen couldn't even be side by side and fit through there. It was impenetrable. You could not, you could not in that day gain that land. It's impossible. Yet David is saying we're going to do it. How are we going to do it? Verse 11 and 12. Give us help from trouble for vain is the help of man. It won't be me fighting anymore. Through God we shall do valiantly for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Listen, David has retreated to a place of truth or, or, or he has acknowledged the sovereignty of God in his defeat. He's retreated to a place of truth after his defeat. And notice one more. He returned to battle with a renewed sense of dependence upon God so that he could avoid defeat. You are not praying through defeat until you have brought, been brought to a place of complete dependence upon God. Until you can say honestly and genuinely from your heart, vain is the help of man. Vain is the help of man. You aren't ready to return to battle. You need to stay in your prayer closet long enough and under the banner of truth long enough to have your dependence taken off of yourself and, and placed completely on your God. The song says it right. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. 
Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. So put on the gospel armor, I like this. Each piece, put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. I don't know who came tonight in a place of defeat. But if you came in a place of defeat, I want to invite you to the altar in a few minutes to pray Psalm 60. Pray through it right here at the altar. Take these notes home. Pray through it tonight. Pray through it tomorrow. Pray through until you are completely dependent on the arm of God for your help. But I also know not everybody in here is facing defeat. Not everybody is. And you're in danger too, though. Because if you're not careful, your victorious life right now is wooing you into a, a place of vulnerability. Oh, I know finances are good. That's great. I know kids are behaving. That's great. Everybody's healthy. That's great. Business is good. That's great. Relationships are dandy. Marriage is strong. Great. Work is awesome. Great. Then you need to find a place for the altar and say, God, help me to be vigilant. Because David has revealed to me that good seasons in life make me very vulnerable to self-reliance and forget who gave me the ease of life in the first place. So it's for all of us tonight. Psalm 60 is for all of us. Here's a quick review of the prayer. Acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Retreat to a place of truth. Then renew your dependence on God. Whether you're in defeat or in victory, there is something to respond to.